All right, Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. I appreciate uh, the messages that Craig shared a couple weeks ago on uh, Genesis chapter 1. And he gave an overview two, uh, three weeks ago. And uh, he mentioned to us that uh, in his overview, he didn't have three po- points in a poem. Well, as I go through chapter 2 this morning... Neither do I have three points in a poem, but uh, we're going to kind of walk through the first 17 verses and see key key words in these passages in this passage and what it means. But uh, one thing that I appreciate that Craig talked about in Genesis chapter one, in order to read or um, uh, understand Genesis chapter one, it requires faith. Um, this isn't a scientific book. It, a- it answers some sci- scientific questions. But uh, this primarily is a book of faith. What, God, what Moses has recorded in, in the book of Genesis, uh, Moses wasn't there. He doesn't have firsthand experience with this. But the one that was there was God himself. He was the eyewitness. He was the instigator of everything that we uh, appreciate and enjoy today. But to understand this book, my friends, it requires childlike faith. And when it comes to your pastor, I'm not as smart as Craig and Jeff, okay? I'm pretty simple, But when God says that he created the heavens and the earth in six days, rested on the seventh, you know what? I believe that. I believe in seven 24-hour days that it took God to complete uh, Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. So... With that, um, as we begin chapter 2, I want to first look at the Sabbath. And that is found in verses 1 through 3. So let me read those three verses. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work. That he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now, God rested not because he was exhausted over all that was required of him the first two, six days. It didn't require any energy on God's part to create what he created in those first six days. The Bible says he spoke it into existence with his word. His word is everything. And so on the first six days, as we've looked at uh, each of those days, on the seventh, he rested as an example for you and I. He wants us to rest in him. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to honor 
the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath for Christians, uh, according to uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, it is the Lord's day. It is the day that Jesus rose from the, from the grave. This, the church began to meet on the first day of the week, on Sunday, to honor the Lord and, uh, and uh, celebrate what he has done in our life. But here in this Sabbath, this Sabbath rest, we see a pattern of work for six days and a day of rest for the seventh day. And God would reveal this Sabbath to Israel. Um, when you look at the Ten Commandments, um, it is it is uh, it is based on what God had done in creation. So He's teaching Israel uh, from the very beginning as they have uh, um, departed from Egypt and they're in the wilderness and they're beginning to collect good food, manna, that God has provided from heaven, God is teaching them a a rhythm in the collection of this food. For six days, they are to collect manna, uh, enough for each day. They're not to hoard on Monday so that they can rest Tuesday through Friday and then get more for the weekend. No. Every day, God expects them to work for their food, but on Friday, they are to collect enough food for both Friday and Saturday, the Sabbath, for the Jews, that it might be a day of rest. Look at Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16 And let's read 22 through 26. Verse 22 says, On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will, bake and boil what you will boil. All that is left over lay aside to, to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses had commanded them, and it did not stink and there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today. For, day, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will find it in the field. Today you will, will not find it in the field. Six days you will gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. And so this Sabbath is a reminder, is an opportunity for Israel to know that God is their provider. Look at Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. In Exodus chapter 20, we find the Ten Commandments. And the fourth commandment, God says this in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. 
Six days you shall labor and you and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The Sabbath day is meant for you to know that God is the provider of all your needs. Second, the Sabbath day is a reminder that God is the creator. He's Elohim of all things. And on the Sabbath day, it's an opportunity for us to rest and celebrate all that God has created. And then thirdly, we see about the Sabbath. Sabbath is a day for the Jews that it's a reminder, it's a celebration that it is the God who redeems because he is the one that delivered Israel from the bondage in in Egypt. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verses 12 through 15. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, female servant, or ox or donkey or any livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servants may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you are a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So church, the Sabbath day to the Jews is a a day to remember God's provision in their life. The fact that he is Elohim. He is the, the creator of all things and that he was the great deliverer of Israel under the bondage of Pharaoh. And for us as Christians, we don't meet on the Sabbath day, but we meet on the first day of the week. And for us as Christians, it is a reminder that God is creator, and he has provided us for all that we enjoy, and we are to honor him back with what he has entrusted to us, a tithe a tenth, and we are to celebrate Jesus as our Redeemer, as our Deliverer for our salvation. So the Sabbath to the Jews was important, was critical. It was, it was holy. The Bible says that in verse 3, of Genesis chapter 2. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done 
in creation. That is the only word, holy, is the only time this word is mentioned in the book of Genesis. The Sabbath is holy. Now, holy is a very important word in the Pentateuch. And we see that word often used, that God is holy. But God is emphasizing on this seventh day that it is a holy day. It needs to be set aside. It needs to be part of the rhythm of our life. And it can't be taken frivolously. Well, it's no big deal if I don't get together with God's people. I'll just do my own thing. Not No, the Bible says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. We need to come to, together as God's people and encourage one another in what God says in his word. And if we don't do that, it's kind of like a barbecue. You've heard this illustration before. You know, I like gas barbecues now. I used to be into briquette barbecues big time. But uh, in order to keep the coals hot in a briquette barbecue, all you got to have a pile of briquettes, and you got to light them, and together they warm themselves up. But if you remove one of those briquettes from that pile of heat, just set it off to the side. Guess what? The, all the others stay warm, stay burning hot, but the one that's been removed grows cold and ineffective, no longer useful. Christian, we need to be a part of God's people regularly, weekly, on the Lord's day. Don't take this lightly. It is it is holy. It is necessary for our spiritual development. But it's not just the Lord's Day for us as Christians. It needs to be every day. Our worship of Him ought not to be limited to one day. We are living sacrifices unto Him. And we need to be worshiping the Lord every day. Jesus wants to be your Sabbath rest. That's the way Hebrews describes our Lord and Savior. Look at Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. Hebrews 4, 9. So then... There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. You know, there's an eternal rest that those in Christ are going to enjoy for all eternity. But there is a earthly rest that we can find in trusting Christ daily, moment by moment. Not trusting in our own self-righteousness, our 
our works, but living a life of faith, childlike faith, trusting him moment by moment. When we live in that kind of relationship with him, we find the peace of God. We already know peace with God, but we, Jesus gives us his Sabbath rest as we live that life of faith. And so those are the first three verses. And then we come to another section. Uh, Go back to Genesis chapter 3, beginning with chapter 2, beginning with verse 4. And in verse 4, it says, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Let me just stop there for just a moment. It begins with, These are the generations. And Craig mentioned this uh, two weeks ago. There are um, ten stages of the phrase, these are the generations. And uh, we're the first five stages. I'm not going to list all these texts this morning, but the first five stages start with Genesis 2-4 and go through uh, Abraham's father, Terah, in Genesis 11, verse 32. Uh, But each of these stages... Um, speak of key individuals or families crucial to the redemptive recovery from chaotic times or events. And so this first stage is going to be starting here in 2-4 with Adam, and uh, it's going to go through chapter 4. This is the first stage. And uh, let me just read... uh, Again, starting again with verse 5. With no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work on the ground. And a mist was going up from the land, and watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Let's skip down to verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, 
you shall surely die. And this is where we're going to conclude uh, for this sermon today. And Jeff will pick up uh, the rest of chapter 2 next week. But uh, as we look at this account in this section, this is not a second creation. Uh, What Moses has written here is not in conflict with what we've read in chapter 1. Chapter 1 is kind of a panoramic view of creation, the days of creation. And when we get to chapter 2, it's more of a specific details related to day 3 in verses Eleven through thirteen, and day six, verses twenty-six and twenty-seven. But um, before we get to that, let me just show you this in verse four as well. Um, the last part of verse four, Moses says, "In the day that the Lord God made the heavens and the earth." We see a name change here with God. Okay, in chapter one. God is um, addressed as Elohim. He is the creator God, um, where he has created something from nothing. But uh, in chapter 2, we see him as Lord God, Yahweh Elohim. And in this passage of Scripture, um, God is becoming more intimate As Elohim in chapter 1, God is majestic and transcendent as our creator God. But in chapter 2, he's now Lord God. He is Yahweh. He is, this Yahweh is the covenant name for God, of our Redeemer God. And God has become, becomes much more imminent in this passage of scripture because this is where um, Yahweh Elohim breathes life into the man, Adam. God doesn't breathe life into any of his other creation, but God through his spirit, God's not a man, okay, but God is, uh, Moses is using human language here, but God the spirit breathes life into Adam in chapter 2. The only time that Yahweh Elohim is not described is in chapter 3, verses 2 through 5, where the serpent is luring Eve into temptation. Uh, They're ignoring the personal name of God, Yahweh Elohim. But uh, just interesting to thing to note there that God's name has changed to Lord God. Now, as again, as Moses is describing these things to us, Moses wasn't an eyewitness. God was. And God, through his Holy Spirit, is conveying to Moses what he has done. And as we read these passages, church, we must have that childlike faith 
believing God for all these details. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. I know we're turning pages today. It probably feels like Craig's preaching. But uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. Chapter 11 is the faith chapter. Let's start with verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So again, faith, all that we see, all that we enjoy, God spoke into existence. And we must understand this by faith. Go back to Genesis chapter 2. Another thing I want you to see about verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens of the, and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God had made the earth and the heavens. And so we're going to be focusing on the sixth day. And again, this day uh, is in re- reference to Genesis 1, 26 and 27. And it's a one 24-hour period that God did this. This is the day. And so it is not a second creation. It's just a more detailed account of what God did in Genesis chapter 1. Now look at verse 5, and we learn more about the environment, okay, in which God put Adam. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground and a mist was covering, a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Verse five. There was no bush of the field. There was no small plant. Now there were lots of plants in this garden that God is creating, but. When it says here there was no bush of the field uh, and there was no small plant, that is referring to um, crops, food that require more effort on the pa- uh, on on the part of man, tilling the soil, uh, it being watered with rain. Um, when it mentions the small plant, that word for small plant is seok, and that um, refers to 
thorns and weeds of the field, and those things are not in existence uh, when God, when Adam is placed in this garden. Okay, these things come into place after the fall, which is going to require more effort. It's going to require more labor. But there's no rain at this point. How do things grow in this garden? Well, the Bible describes um, the, a mist, but mist isn't necessarily the right Hebrew word uh, uh, translation um, for what's happening here. If you go down in your, um, if you have a Bible that uh, uh, gives a different interpretation, uh, uh, alternative interpretation, spring is more appropriate. Because what's happening in this garden is that water is coming up from underneath. There's no rain. It's not going to rain for another thousand years when God destroys the earth with a flood. And so right now, God is watering things through natural springs. Um, the, the water table is enormous in this passage of Scripture. We didn't read the rivers that uh, come from the Garden of Eden, but there's four rivers that um, flow out of, um, out of the garden. There's the Pishon, the Gahan, the Tigris, and the Euphrates uh, mentioned in verses 10 through 14. Um, you know, as a boy, I, I, I grew up uh, fishing the Kings River outside of Fresno. There's a lot of water that flows through the Kings River um, throughout the year. And when we're talking now... Of these four rivers mentioned here in Genesis chapter 2, we don't know where Pishon and Gehan are. Um, there, when the, the flood occurred, the geography dramatically changed all over the world. Now, as you look at a map today, we have an idea of where the Euphrates River is and the Tigris River is, but that may not necessarily have been its stream uh, here in Genesis chapter 2. Following the flood, this is what we know it is, is today. But, but there were four rivers coming out of Eden. Now, where is Eden? We don't know where Eden is today. Most likely in Mesopotamia, most likely near where the Tigris and the Euphrates uh, meet down north of the, uh, the uh, Persian Ocean. That's most likely where Eden would have been. But as the Bible is describing this Eden, there is an enormous amount of water coming out of the ground that is fueling, that is filling these four rivers. And it's through what's underneath that whatever God has created plant-wise is being nourished. It's being watered. But there are some bushes, there are some small plants 
that have not yet sprung up. And that's because the fall has not yet occurred. And so as God has put Eden, or God has put Adam in this, in this garden, it's pretty easy on Adam. He doesn't have to work too hard, but God does expect him to work, okay? When it comes to labor, when it comes to work, this happened, God gave Adam this responsibility prior to the fall. That means that work is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. But work for Adam became more intense following the fall. Look at Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3.17. After Adam had disobeyed God, the Bible says, And to Adam he said, because you have not listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field." How many understand what thorns and thistles are? Yeah, me too. You know what? You can't find my garden in Genesis chapter 2. <laughs> my garden exists after the fall. It is a lot of work. So here we see uh, Adam being placed in the garden. Adam is created in verse 7. God has breathed new life or life into Adam. Look at verse 7. Let's read that again. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Church, you see any evolution there? Do you, do you see any pre-human existence prior to Adam? Did he have any ancestors? No! What's that? No belly button. Yeah. So this ought to blow the theory of evolution out of the water. Adam was the first human being. And how did God create Adam? By the dust of the earth. God took the dust from which all of us come and fashioned Adam into not just anyone, but into the image of God. Church, we are created in the image of God. And God himself has given us the breath of life. This is what the Bible says about man. So that ought to deal a death blow 
to the evolutionary view of how man came about. There are no mutations. God spoke it, fashioned it into existence. Now let's go to verse 8. And the plants of the garden. And the Lord God planted in the garden, garden, planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant in the sight and good for food. And so the trees in the garden are pleasant looking. They are good for food. If it didn't produce food, it wasn't in the garden. You know, living in the desert, I love Palo Verdes. I like to brag about the Palo Verde tree that's in my front yard. But you know what? Palo Verdes were, were not in the Garden of Eden because Palo Verde doesn't produce food. We see a lot of Modesto ash trees in the desert. I don't know why we see so many Modesto ash trees in the desert. I mean, they're a nice tree. They provide a lot of shade, but they don't last very long and they don't have any food on them. You wouldn't see a Modesto ash in the Garden of Eden. What are some pleasant trees to look at that produce food? I suppose orange trees, apple trees, and pear trees. Um, You know, pomegranate trees, they're not very pleasant to look at, but, you know, in the Old Testament, pomegranate tree was important. Um, In fact, the pomegranate is on the, uh, on the, the curtain that covers the, um, holy of holies. So pomegranate trees were probably in this in this garden. Um, but trees that produce fruit food, God provided in this place. And then look what verse 15 says. And the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden to work it and keep it. So Adam had a responsibility to work and keep the garden. Wasn't too hard, you know. The irrigation, it was being taken care of naturally. Maybe a little bit of pruning, but there was no tilling. There were no rows to to uh, to create and plant corn and, and uh, reap the corn. Uh, those kind of those kind of things details come about after the fall. And again, my garden is definitely not a reflection of this garden. It was definitely came after the fall, and it is full of thorns and thistles. And this time, this year especially, has been difficult. I don't know if you guys have a garden. You guys all need to create gardens at your house uh, to appreciate Genesis and the fall and what's required to grow food. But I'm convinced you shouldn't have a garden in the desert. 
because it is way too hard, hot to grow things. But I have a de- I have a, a garden because I need more sermon illustrations. Um, but I know it is a definition of insanity because I keep thinking to myself, this next year is going to be different, but I get keep getting the same results over and over and over again. Oh, well. But for Adam, it wasn't too tough in chapter 2. But chapter 3, things change, and we will get there eventually. But... What does God want us to know from chapter 2? That he has been involved in every aspect, every detail of creation. And you know what? He is a very creative God. It's amazing as we look at the creation and, and what oceanographers and and people out there in the field and the jungles and stuff, the, the creatures, they continue to discover and how uniquely they have been created. We serve an amazing God. And God wants us to take a day, the Lord's day, to remember his provision in our life. The fact that he is the creator of it all, that he is our redeemer. He wants us to worship him and to give back to him what he has abundantly given to us. That's the first thing that he wants us to know. And the second thing, is that he wants us to believe every single word. Don't try to outthink the text. Don't try to figure it out on your own and come up with all different kinds of different situations. Just in simple, childlike faith, believe his word. Church, when we believe his word, moment by moment, he will give you rest. Jesus will be our Sabbath rest. Not just for eternity, but here on earth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for every word. Every word means something. And it's, it's easy to look over words and not comp- contemplate their meaning. I'm guilty of this over and over again, but thank you for Genesis 2. Thank you for the Sabbath. Thank you for your provision your amazing creation and your son who came and gave his all to rescue us from our sin. And when we believe what Jesus did for us,
we could be set free. Lord, if there's someone here this morning who has struggled to believe your word, what you have done, may today be the day of their salvation. May they just choose to give up, surrender their life, and trust you and what your word says. God, save them. Hear their cry. Thank you for this time of invitation. Bless it. In Jesus' name, would you stand with me, please?